Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. For the last couple of weeks, we have been diving into dialogue. Anybody who's trying to write good stories knows that in order to write a great story, you must know how to write great dialogue. To that end, we've been diving into what are the primary principles What are the major rules of thumb that makes dialogue actually good? Today, we're going to continue unpacking these primary principles, starting with number six. Good dialogue sounds just right for the scene or story, whether it's a movie or a novel or a play. It doesn't stick out with brilliant dialogue that is not right for that story. Dialogue should not distract from moving the story forward. Well, how do you do this? Well, first of all, you have to make sure that your characters are speaking in a way that is accurate and right for those particular characters. You need to understand how much education they've had. You need to understand what they would sound like if they were from that particular part of the country or that particular area of the world. It has to be consistent with the characteristics that you've given them. One of the ways that you violate this is by having characters speak more intelligently than they would. And one of the ways that that happens is if they use a lot of adjectives and adverbs. You know, for the most part, we don't use adverbs and adjectives when we talk. In authentic, realistic, or naturalistic dialogue, We simply don't really use those words. In fact, actors actually get a little embarrassed when they have to say something like this. In fact, they'll almost always put a little slight pause before they say something with an adverb because it feels so unnatural. So they don't normally go around saying things like, I'm desperately tired because it sounds melodramatic. And any character who says, I'm desperately tired is being a drama queen. So it feels awkward or they're being pretentious snobs. Anytime you use L-Y words in dialogue, typically it makes a character sound like a pretentious snob. I faintly remember being told that. Come here quickly. I am extremely unhappy. I would happily enjoy some tea. Do you see how all of these things make the person sound like a real pretentious piece of work? So we want to get rid of words that modify our nouns. Just say it as straight as you possibly can. Having said that, you also want to have one gem per act, if at all possible, because the truth is we love to quote great dialogue. And when a story includes a great line of dialogue, We will repeat it. It will become part of our vernacular. We will adopt it. It's incredible how that happens. So here's an example. Attention must be paid. You remember this from Death of a Salesman with Willie Loman? That is specifically a cry to human dignity. We are human beings. We are worthy of human dignity. Attention must be paid. A man is not a piece of fruit. You can't eat the orange and throw away the peel. Attention must be paid. 
but it's great because it's not esoteric. It doesn't sound hyper intelligent or like it's trying to be impressive. It is a cry. It is a demand. Attention must be paid. Or how about Howard Beale in Network? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Great, great line of dialogue that people have been saying for years. Probably one of the most iconic moments in cinematic history. Here's an example that I just talked to a friend about just the other day. What about Michael Scott from The Office? Who doesn't know the saying? That's what she said. It has become so popularized because of that character. It's a great line of dialogue that we remember. Now, granted, that's from a TV series where it was repeated frequently. But there are other examples of this where it becomes part of our regular vocabulary. What about dirty dancing? Anybody who is around my age will know exactly what you mean if you say, no one puts baby in the corner. What about go ahead? Make my day. Here's looking at you, kid. May the force be with you. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. What we've got here is a failure to communicate. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Think about Top Gun and how quotable that movie is. I feel the need, the need for speed. These are just a few of the lines that are now so common that we use them in everyday, ordinary conversation, and everybody knows what we mean. So you do want one line of dialogue per act that stands out. A bad example of this is Star Wars, not episodes four, five, and six, because of course we do quote those, right? May the force be with you. But what about episodes one, two, and three? Can anybody remember a single line of dialogue from that? I can, and I quote it as a joke. Hold me like you did on Naboo. Really? Oh my gosh, it's so horrible. There is nothing great in episodes one, two, or three. There's nothing quotable. There's no gem. Now, here's something that has helped me. I got advice years ago from Barbara Nicolosi when I was working under her as the associate director of the Act One Writing for Hollywood program. And she was advising me on how to do a radio interview. And what she told me was, try to give them sound bites. Try to give them succinct quips, quotable lines, short, pithy catchphrases that they can repeat, that capture the essence of what it is that you're trying to say. So for example, one of hers is, I would rather see an R-rated truth than a G-rated lie. What a great line, right? And the reason that you do that in radio interviews, or I guess any kind of interview, is so that when they're showing the highlights of the clips, they can show that line. But if you have a character that goes on and on and on and just doesn't stop talking because it's one big run-on sentence like I'm doing right now to try to emphasize this point that it's hard to cut in between and out and then da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, then it's really hard for them to quote you. So you want to be able to, boom, say it, short, pithy sentences once in a while that just really captures the essence of what the character is thinking or feeling or what's happening. Something, one gem of dialogue that stands out per act that is quotable.
Number seven. Good dialogue is dialogue that sounds just right for each character. And each character sounds different. So this is something that we would call orchestration. Orchestration, think about an orchestra. In an orchestra, you have all these different instruments playing their own particular phrase of music, their own particular melody or harmony line or whatever the case may be, but they join the other instruments and it feels full. It's an orchestra. That is good orchestration. You want each instrument to have its own thing that it's playing. Well, that's what we want our characters to do. Our characters have vocabulary that is varied by education, upbringing, regionalism, favorite words or expressions, also the syntax of the character. What do I mean by that? It's how they put the words together. There's a big difference between saying, will you close the door please? And you will close the door please. One of the best shows, believe it or not, that illustrates this is the TV series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you could literally take a script, black out all of the character names over dialogue, and you would know which character was saying which line because each character sounded only like themselves. And what happens a lot of times with newer writers is that every single character sounds the same. They all sound like them. They all sound the same. Or what writers will do to try to combat this often is they will make the characters totally different so that one is from England, another one's from Australia, another one is, you know, speaks pidgin English. They radically try to make the characters so far apart because they don't know how to do this. But how interesting to have characters that are from the same exact location who still sound like themselves. Because we do, we all sound unique. And that's the goal. That's what we're trying to get to. Members of the audience will notice glaring inconsistencies between where a character claims to hail from and the way that they talk. If you're off, they will know. And it will take them out of the story, which is always a no-no. So dialogue must match the characteristics you've given them. This is also true if you have a character that's timid. A timid character must speak in a way that is consistent with their character. So the way then, the key to understanding how your character must speak is to understand who they are based on what the character believes about themselves in relation to other people. What is their status? Most of us have had those experiences in life where, on the one hand, we are completely confident, completely certain in our aptitude, our abilities, our skills, and we walk in that confidence and we're fine speaking our voice and we're totally comfortable in our own bodies. And then we'll turn around and be in another situation and the next thing you know, we are totally insecure, totally uncomfortable, We are shy, we get timid, we don't know how to speak to people. And sometimes we're like, who am I? How did this happen? For example, when I'm teaching, I am totally in my element. This is my wheelhouse. I am absolutely certain of what I'm doing. When I get around my family sometimes, 
I hardly talk at all. I'll never forget the time that my dad came to see me as a director of a particular show. He came to the previews and I'm directing people. I'm calling the shots, boom, boom, boom. I'm saying, no, go back to one. I'm directing everybody. And he turns to my then husband and said, oh my gosh, Zena Dell is so assertive. And my ex-husband actually laughed and said, have you met your daughter? But my dad hadn't ever seen me in that context because I come from a family where everybody's in charge. So I'm the youngest, so I never spoke up. My status in my family affected how I behaved. My status as a director affected my behavior, affected my dialogue, affected everything about who I am. Now, I'm the same person, but depending on my status, depending on the relationship with the people around me, I'm going to behave and speak differently. So one of the best things you can do for yourself is to understand the status of your character in connection with the other characters. It will grossly impact how they speak. Now, of course, there are a lot of other tools that you can employ to really affect orchestration and how your character speaks. And we'll talk about those in upcoming episodes. For now, the principle I want you to learn is to understand the status of your characters in conjunction with the characters around them. And that will be your starting point, your jumping off point for trying to find how they speak originally for that character. The bottom line, you need to know who your character is. The more you know your character, the better and the more accurate their dialogue will be for that character. One last example of this, which is a glaring mistake actually by Stephen Sondheim when he did West Side Story. So during the previews, his friend, Sheldon Harnick, spoke to him and said, hey, your song, I Feel Pretty, is a mistake because it's supposed to express the perspective of an uneducated Puerto Rican girl. But actually, it sounds like she stepped out of a Noel Coward play. And Sondheim agreed. He was blown away. He absolutely agreed. He wanted to change the song but his collaborators wouldn't let him because they loved the song and they kept it in. Nevertheless, it was a mistake. It shouldn't have happened. So to recap then, number six, good dialogue sounds just right for the scene or movie. It doesn't stick out with brilliant dialogue. That's not right for that story. It shouldn't distract from moving the story forward. Number seven, it sounds just right for each character because each character sounds different. And we're talking about orchestration, making sure each character has a unique voice. If this has been helpful to you in any way, would you please consider leaving a review and rating the show on Apple Podcasts? And also, if you have a particular topic that you would like me to address, would you please go to my website, Mission Ranch Films. On the right-hand side of the page, you're going to see a link to something called Podcast Voicemail. You can click on that, leave me a voicemail, and let me know what you would like me to address, and I will do that in an upcoming episode. Until then, I want to thank you so much for listening to The Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe. May you go forth 
inspired to change the world for the better through story.